What's up and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the I don't even fucking know what episode number it is, Sean. What the hell is going on, man? Well, it's episode 36, but I don't think that matters because it's essentially the trade deadline today. What the fuck happened? We're recording this today on Tuesday. The deadline's on Friday. What the fuck? To be fair, over the past few years, I feel like the trade deadline has slowly been like creeping backwards from the actual deadline as teams just like oh i guess they want to avoid panicking when they make the well, trade to- totally but like i don't ever remember this much much action on a day like three days beforehand i think the main thing is specifically it's all happening seemingly on like one day like you think before this say for example there was like maybe a trade or two each day and today there was like fucking 20 trades just back to back to back to back it's it's impressive it really is impressive i I actually used to take days off of work and like school and shit to like stay at home and, and watch it. But like, I couldn't imagine having to host a show for six hours like TSN or Sportsnet. I'm starting to think that they should probably stop doing that considering there's nothing really going on and they're just going to be recapping trades from a week ago. No kidding. No kidding. All right. Uh, we've talked way too much. We're talking probably about 15 minutes after the news broke. Matthias Ekholm is an Edmonton Oiler. Did you ever think that anyone would fucking say that sentence? I wasn't sure Holland would ever pull the trigger on any trade because of all of the rumors <laughs> flying around, just being like, price is too high, price is too high. Oh, circling back, oh, price is too high. It's just so annoying, but I'm happy we at least finally have something on paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got the man, I think, that was best available for what the Oilers needed right now. Now, with that being said, the full trade, the Oilers get Matias Ekholm, a sixth-round pick. They somehow got Nashville to hold on to 4% of that salary. And uh, in return goes Tyson Berry, Reed Schaefer, a first and a fourth for 2023. Uh, thoughts initially? I guess it's 15 minutes. Like, what's your hot take right now? My hot take is that I'm concerned this is going to fuck with the power play juju and the locker room juju. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's I was thinking like even just giving up, but there's so much more than the the on ice production um, with Tyson Berry anyway. Yeah, well, well, like I see this trade and like the Reed Schaefer a first and a fourth like that's fine. I expected like a prospect to go. I expected there to be a first involved in a trade, whether it was for Chitrin or Carlson or Echo. But like seeing Tyson Berry go, and I understand it was probably for cap reasons, is still incredibly disappointing just because he has been quite good this season. He's mm-hmm. like the backbone of that power play on the point. And I just, I'm concerned because he's like always been a locker room guy. And I think he's fit in really well with Edmonton. So like, yeah, I just don't know if it's going to fuck with the locker room. Yeah, I think that's a big, uh, big guy to lose in the room in terms of uh, personality and and uh, the character that he brings. Like, I, I know that he's a big glue guy for the rest of the team, but on the the contrast, like, I kind of expected him to go uh, if we were gonna actually make a trade. I didn't see the Edmonton Oilers getting out of the trade deadline, making a move, and not giving up Tyson Berry, which sucks because he's having an outstanding year. But at that point too, like, are you going to get a higher value for Tyson Berry than you are right now? Is this the rare time that Ken Holland pulled the trigger at the right time? Well, outside of trading him like a couple years ago when he was going to be a UFA before we re-signed him, 
Um, I would say that this was probably one of the higher value moments you could trade him. And I would not mm-hmm. be surprised to see Nashville flip him to another team. Yeah, that that's a good point. Because, I mean, why would they load up? Yeah, I, I can see that. I can well, they see already that. have Roman Yossi as their first, right. uh, first unit power play defenseman. And... I don't know, like they're just kind of one of those teams too who like to develop their own defensemen. And I don't think they necessarily love signing random guys to bring in. But <laughs> yeah, with that I being mean, said, Tyson Berry has lots of value. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy with the trade. The Oilers needed a defensive defenseman to come in. Uh, I think Ekholm. The other thing that's fucking shocking, he has a career high NHL total. Of plus 104. When? What what do you mean? Can you elaborate on this? His entire career total, plus minus, is 104. That's that's pretty good. That's not fucking bad, considering we had guys chasing after the green jacket for, like, years on years on years. Well, like, obviously, plus minus isn't the be-end, like, be-all, end-all of stats, and it could be more of your team quality than um, your quality as a player yourself. Um, True. I'm, I'm curious but, what his is this season. I'm just going to open it if you don't have it. It's 18. Plus, Plus 18? 18. See, like that, I, I like... defenseman. I'm impressed by that because he's playing on Nashville, who isn't necessarily great, but isn't terrible this season, so kind of a middle read, of the pack, so he's above his team average, so he's bringing I, a positive... Value to his I don't fucked up. I, I fucked up. I fucked up. He's even this year. <laughs> oh, he's even this year. Yeah, yeah. Eighteen points. Eighteen points. My bad. Okay, that's well. That's okay. But regardless, I guess he's like I was just saying. He's not on a great team. So plus minus isn't the be all end all though. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I just know it can be a killer for defensive stats. And um, yeah, it's just it's something you never see on the Edmonton Oilers. So that was the first thing that stood out for me. Obviously, you're picking the guy up not for his point production. But uh, I, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. Obviously, I think I, I would have preferred, and I, I mentioned this last week, uh, Borgo over Reed Schaefer just because of the position they play. But, I mean, if that's what it takes to, to land the D-man that you need, it's well, all in now. I think the argument would be between those two players, like, I don't think I really touched on it last week, between Borgo and Schaefer, it's... Uh, the old you can't teach size versus you can't teach talent because I think Borgo is a more talented player and mm-hmm. Schaefer's just has a better overall what's the word I'm looking for size I guess um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah and I'm, I'm not opposed to giving up on a guy like or not giving up on a guy but giving away a guy like Schaefer to bring in a guy like Ekholm because we have decent forward depth in terms of prospects because you have like Savoy and you have Lavoie and you have Borgo like you mentioned so like we have some wingers coming up but on defense right now we just don't have anybody to come in and play the minutes that Ekholm's going to be able to play yeah totally totally um before we I know... get into any other trades though I just also <laughs> yeah. wanted to mention that this opens up a huge opportunity for Bouchard because I was yeah. talking to a friend immediately after this trade, and he was like, does this mean Ekholm's going to be our number one power play guy? I was like, no, absolutely oh, not. Oh, no. Like, it's no going way. to be Bouchard who's going to be given the reins to see what he can do. And if he falters, it'll probably go to Nurse. But I would like to see what Bouchard can do on that power play full-time. 
and hopefully build up his confidence. Yeah, totally. And he's, I guess there's really no one blocking him on that uh, first line power play. Like it's, it's going to be probably Bouchard's, you know, horse to run with. So, um, yeah, that, that's a great point. That definitely uh, crossed my mind. I know, um, I was reading through some of the first responses, uh, from, uh, just looking on Twitter and stuff as soon as it happened that, uh, that was kind of the, the impression that everyone else had. So uh, I guess we'll see. I guess we will see, but uh, I don't think we can get to this trade without the one that shook out earlier in the day. Uh, this one kind of hurt, Sean. It it sucked, but in the best of ways. I was just sad more than anything else. Like I'm not yeah. like, or maybe disappointed would be the better <laughs> word. It's like if your dad is just like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> totally. Uh, just to recap, it is Yesapuli RV finally getting his freedom. He gets a fresh chance. It's in Carolina. Uh, back uh, coming back to Edmonton is Patrick Pustula. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right. But another Finn heading back the uh, the way the Edmonton Oilers. Kind of the nice thing that I loved about this trade is Ken Holland found a way to get rid of Yesapuli RV without strapping a pick to him to basically clear cap room because you're getting a guy that's playing in Europe right now won't count towards the cap. He's completely unsigned to begin with. Um, and you get Yesapuli a fresh start. You clear three million bucks off the books. Um, I, I think it's a win-win for everybody here. Yeah, I think it's definitely it's a win for Puliarvi because he gets to go and leave the Oilers and hopefully get rid of the media scrutiny that's been on his back for years. And then mm-hmm. Carolina gets a player in Puliarvi who can play anywhere in the lineup really, and he gets to go and probably play with Aho, who he has a lot of experience playing with in the past. I was gonna say, yeah, those two have uh, some some history for sure. Yeah, and then like you said, Edmonton gets rid of his cap and also gets a player in this Patrick Puistola. Um, once again, <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but apparently there was some question marks about how he was developing specifically. But this year, he's kind of started to come into his own. Apparently, over in uh, Liga, in I think that's in Finland, yeah. and. Yeah starting to come into his own and could be a player who makes a bit of an impact, at least in the AHL level and could be a good call up guy in the next like five years or so. I, I did see a comparison between uh Puli RV and Pistola, um, both playing in the last time. Uh, yes, he was back in and Pistola was back in Pistola was back in Finland and through 56 games, I think Puli RV had about 10 more points. So if you're getting a like for like player straight across, I don't mind it, especially this is a kid that's trajecting up. That's that's usually a good sign as well. So I wouldn't knock him out um, out of the equation yet. Uh, let's see if the Oilers tender him a contract in the offseason. But uh, nonetheless, uh, a move that needed to be made. Really. Well, there's a, few, there's a few things that you have to consider with this trade too, is that like this freed up cap so Edmonton could actually get Ekholm. Without this trade, they wouldn't have been able to make that deal because I believe they're the cap after the Ekholm trade mm. and it also makes it so we don't have to qualify Yessi next year because his qualifying yeah. offer would have been like 3 million plus 10% so if you're him you take that deal all day and if you're Edmonton that's going to absolutely fuck you 
Well, and when you uh, you bring that up, we we did get some insight today just on the contract that was offered to Yesapuli RV this past week. It sounds like Holland sat down with him and his agent said, uh, "We're not going to qualify you. We'll offer you an extension, but it's going to be in the ones." And they both just made that decision that you know time is time is here to basically move on. I think it was it was good that they had the conversation before, so they both had a kind of expectation of what was coming. I totally agree, though, that that it's probably a good time to move on. And that that contract, I think, is fair value for Pooley RV this season for what he's done this year. If Mm -hmm. he were to, in fact, sign that. But his agent, I'm sure, is telling him, don't do it. They'll trade you. You'll do well. And that you'll be able to sign a bigger ticket. Yeah. I mean, he's got, what, 20 games to figure it out? Like. Not that it's going to be anything stellar, but if you can at least get qualified for another year, like who knows? Well, I'm curious. I think he'll sign before being qualified by Carolina just because his contract wow. qualifying offer is absurd unless he gets 20 points in 20 games. And and how long till he gets to play for Carolina, though? Well, and that's also the thing. So if anybody hasn't been paying attention, sometimes there are visa issues when players get traded from Canadian teams to U.S. teams or vice versa. So Pugliarvi apparently is having to figure out his visa situation before he's going to be able to play with Carolina, similar to what happened with Costin when we traded for him. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, it's funny. I was just trying to pull up the uh, the cap situation for the Edmonton Oilers. Everything's like very tough to read right now because everything's so in flux. Um, <laughs> one thing that stood out to me as I was um, looking over everything, if you have you looked at the Oilers like recalls and reassignments in the past like month? You mean the Devin, Devin Shore show? <laughs> <laughs> He's on this list like ten times, man. Well, it's funny. I was scrolling through like some of the news topics so we could have some things to discuss, and half of them, I swear, were Devin Shore gets sent down, Devin Shore gets called up, Devin Shore gets sent down, Devin Shore gets called up. Yeah, I, I never know what his status is with this team. Like. It's- <laughs> It's I just assume it's he's insane. sitting in the box regardless. If they send him down, it's probably just a paper transaction and he'll be here all the time. <laughs> he just lives here full time, doesn't play it all down in Baco. I mean, has he played it all down in Baco this year? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. As much as I would love to talk about Devin Shore. Uh, There's bigger fish to five fry. games. Five games. Five okay. points in five games down there. So, yeah. but anyway. And I believe that was all at the beginning of the year pretty much too. So, Yeah. I digress. Where the hell do we start? Because there's been trades galore out the, uh, uh, out the gate here today, the last week, since we've last talked. Like, I think we got to start with the biggest, uh, the biggest one that wasn't really a shocker. Patrick Kane heading to the New York Rangers. Um, he gets added to that list for Arizona. I paying for players that never play for them. Uh, well, yeah, like, goes, yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous how that's even a thing. It's like I'm just going to say this right now that it's kind of embarrassing for the NHL that like half the contracts that are around the league are just being retained 50 percent by <laughs> several teams. Or there's like the Shea Weber contract we talked about last week. It's just sitting there on LTIR like they got to figure out a better system for this kind of stuff because it's super annoying. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny. I was I'm trying to pull up the tweet here that I saw uh, yesterday, but it's 
basically talking like the expectation we knew about this for a long time now that uh patrick kane was heading to the rangers it's the worst kept secret probably this trade deadline um but there was someone that was uh talking about the uh the trade here it is here it is the new york rangers are a graveyard where washed up players go for their careers to die here's a list of all the rangers who are players who finished with uh the rangers here's holik drury Wade Redden, Scott Gomez, Marcus Naslin, uh, I'm getting Brad Richards. You got Gabrick, Nash, St. Louis, Tarasenko, and now Kane. <laughs> they had a weird time in like the like late what 2010 or whatever, where they were just looking for anything. Like you mentioned, like Gomez and Brad Richards and Wade Redden. It was just like these old players that they just signed to huge contracts. Like I'm pretty sure brad richards is still being bought out yeah yeah it's it's like the bobby bonilla situation over there um yeah so kane to new york i mean him and tarasenko let's see if anything happens there uh the 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 return actually wasn't like anything stellar from what i saw a conditional second and a fourth well of course the three uh, team trade is what kind of made it work but um to Chicago is a conditional second, a fourth, and 50% retained salary for Kane. Uh, Arizona ate up an additional 25% and got a third. Did I read that correctly? I believe so. And the reason being why this return wasn't very good was because Patrick Kane said, I will go to the Rangers or I will go nowhere. So, oh, really? I didn't hear that at all. That's essentially the word that was going around is that he had no interest in any other team. He only wanted to go to the Rangers. So that's why there was a lot of like him talking when they traded for Tarasenko because the mm-hmm. thought was there's no way they can afford to bring in Kane now. But then of course yeah. we have the old double retention strategy. So they only have to pay 25% of his 10 and a half million this year. So uh, Chicago essentially gives a third and 25% of Kane's salary to Arizona, right? That's how that works. I believe the Rangers gave up the third to Arizona because essentially the way that the trade Ah. works, it's like it's super confusing the way that these trades work because Kane has to go to Arizona first. So he has to get traded to Arizona. So essentially these picks that they're trading away, they go to Arizona first and then Arizona flips Kane for all of that package. So they pretty much take the Chicago stuff that they got and then they give that to the Rangers that makes sense. Or that makes sense. Versa, but, but the maximum retain uh, retained contract that you can have is 50%. On. Yeah. 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 So it's 50% per team. And I think you can only retain the same contract up to twice. So you could never yeah. get a fourth team involved and get a guy at 12 and a half percent. Yeah. That really uh, eats up all the bottom dwellers of salary. So that's, that's probably a good rule to have. Um, <sighs> That's all I got for Kane. The next, I kind of want to package a bunch of these together, if that's cool with you. Oh, that's fine. There's a lot of trades that are very similar that were made. Yeah. Uh, Can we just acknowledge the fact that Kyle Dubas is taking all of his chips, throwing them in with his job and everything else? This guy is, like, taking everything and throwing it at the wall to see if it sticks. Like, Toronto is doing anything. It feels like... It's funny. I got a text from my brother, who's a diehard Leafs fan. 
He's like, I swear to God, like we're just living in Kyle Dubas's GM mode in NHL. Well, yeah, it really like, seems like it, considering he's just trading half of his roster right now to try and like make the team better. And he's making the team better, but more likely in the short term than the long term. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, if this doesn't work for Toronto, they are fucked. Like, it, it just, you look at the players that they, they brought in. So they bring back Luke Shen to Toronto. That was the, well, I guess not the most recent. They picked up Eric uh, Gustafson. Uh, they got a third and then obviously bringing in McCabe and Lafferty from Chicago. But when you look at the things going out the door, man, like pick after pick after prospect after like they're going to have nothing left. Yeah. So like just looking at this right now, they traded away two thirds, a conditional first, a second and Rasmus Sandin essentially and Joey Anderson and Pavel Gogolev for all these players that they got and the players that they got were eric gustafson luke shen or they traded or no, they got luke shen they got lafferty they got mccabe they traded away pierre angval like there's just all these moving parts that they have with yeah. these like four trades where essentially they got rid of a lot of their long-term assets just to bring in these guys in the quote-unquote short term but then again jake mccabe and like sam lafferty they have contracts so they have at least some certainty in terms of those contracts. It's not like a lot of these guys are coming up. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I was actually, out of all of these trades, I was shocked at the return for Sandine. I thought that was, I mean, it's it's essentially a second round pick, but it is still a first with uh, Eric Gustafson coming back the other way. But um, yeah, all in, man. Yeah, I respect their their decision to do this. Like, this will likely be what people are wanting Edmonton to do in, let's say, two years' time, when there's like a year or two left on Dreisaitl and McDavid's contracts. They're going to be like, you trade the farm, and we win now, or else we never win. It's funny. Like, I almost want to park this uh, this point in time and just like look at where we're at. Look at what we haven't done. Like, you look at some of the the trades that haven't gone down. Um, thus far, like Vegas really hasn't done anything yet. Um, and then you kind of flip the opposite end where you've got Toronto, you've got, I mean, the East is just stacking Boston, picking up some, um, some good players, Tampa's, um, move with Janot, But like, I think that, uh, we're kind of the, the balance right now. Uh, it's not to say anything's going to continue happening, but last week you and I both sat here, like getting our, like not getting uh, in an argument, but like, what side do you want? Do you want to go all in? Do you want to be kind of, you know, half out the door? Like, I think this is a very balanced approach from Ken Holland thus far. Well, and like, I think the balanced approach, so that's like the hockey trades and trading for guys with term versus peer rentals is in my opinion, the better approach, at least this year, especially when you see the teams in the East, going all out, making these huge trades, trading for like fantastic players for their team. And you're thinking, how is Edmonton going to get through one of Boston or Toronto or Tampa or Carolina? Like all mm-hmm. these teams are just getting so like deep and top heavy with this talent. And Edmonton doesn't have the assets really to do that. At least the ones that they want to give away. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's true. Though, speaking of the assets and things like that, did you read Breezebois' uh, little note he said about the, the trade for Janot? I didn't read the the specifics, but if I'm not mistaken, it essentially just said, like, I know what I'm doing, don't worry about it. Well, his kind of response is basically that, like, you got to look at what the value of the picks are, and what is a second or third or fourth round pick going to be worth in uh, uh, a couple of years? Um, it's, uh, sorry, just something came up. Uh, kind of breaking news, I don't know if this is going to be worth it, but Brock McGinn is thrown on waivers, so that's kind of a shocker right there. Yeah, I think he's he was was on waivers this morning, I believe, or this afternoon. I remember reading that him and somebody Friedman, I can't remember his first name now. But mm. something to potentially look at if Edmonton's looking for some more depth, but I yeah. I don't know if I'm I, I just, interested in Brock McGinn. That's fair. Uh okay, uh back to the point about um just the the value of the picks and he's like we're in we're in win now mode right now like what are the off chances that and he basically put the point like these these second third fourth round picks aren't going to help us in the next two years and we don't have a window out of these next two years to to worry about um them you know being an asset for us so it's i mean that's kind of the definition of all in right now so i was kind of uh I was intrigued reading that. It's it's a new kind of philosophy because if you look at why well, Tampa doesn't have a pick to like the sixth or seventh round this this uh, draft. Well, like to be fair, for anybody who is not aware, this trade that Greg's talking about is Nashville trading Tanner Janot to Tampa in exchange for Calfoot, a conditional first, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth, which is like a fucking CHL trade if I've ever seen one. <laughs> but... Yeah, like it's essentially the argument that people are making now where it's like, do you trade Reed Schaefer for Ekholm? Because we need help now, not when Reed Schaefer is going to be able to come and play for this team. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the argument. And I, as much as I understand that argument and I honestly agree with it, trading all that shit for Tana Janot was some, one of the stupidest trades I've ever seen in my life. It might work <laughs> out for them. That's cool. But you should be able to get Tana Janot for like a third round pick. How often do you see a, a trade go through and you're like, holy shit, I'm glad I didn't buy that. Well, and that's why I was afraid of Edmonton potentially trading for Ekholm because right. they were able to convince Tampa to give up all this shit. And essentially, we stole Ekholm considering that price that they paid for Janot. Well, and I, I looked at the first tweet that I saw that this was breaking down was from Reiner Shog. And it just said, Ekholm is on his way to Edmonton in a deal involving Barry and Schaefer and I was like that's that's it that's it that's that's it compared to like what happened yesterday it's it's kind of mind-blowing yeah I I totally don't understand why that trade happened in the first place like it still hurts my brain to think about it like people gave them shit for giving up like a first for Brandon Hagel and a first for Blake Coleman but like fans of those teams totally understood why because those players were just playing below their like actual potential and they found their potential when they were playing on Tampa and not to say that Jano is not going to suddenly become a phenom third liner in Tampa because that seems to be what always happens but that that what they traded <laughs> away is just not fucking worth it at all it's way too much yeah 
Um, but you, you bring up the topic of CHL trades. That was comical seeing the list of the Timo Meyer trade to New Jersey. How hard did you laugh? Like, I thought the list was going to go on forever. So my favorite thing about this trade is that when it happened, I was like reading on Reddit, for example, and I was just sitting there refreshing, waiting for the details to come out. And like four hours later, there was still no details. The only details (laughs) were different media members calling players and being like, hey, were you traded? And they'd be like, nobody told me yet. And they're like, okay, well, I guess Dawson Mercer is not part of the trade. Oh, I don't think Alexander Holt's part of the trade because he said he's not. And then one of the ones they said was Fabian Zutterland said that he wasn't traded. And it turns out he was. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a pile. I honestly, I'd I'd try to break this down. But Sean, I can't pronounce half these fucking names. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to give it a try. All right, here we go to New Jersey. They get Timo Meyer. Timur Ibragimov, Scott Harrington, Santeri Hataka, Zachary Imond, and a fifth. So that was not bad. To San Jose, they get Fabian Zutterland, Andreas Janssen, Shakir Makahamadulin, Nikita Okahatuyuk. That's the hardest one. What the fuck was that? It's Makahamadulin. You don't know his name? (laughs) Impressive. I am uh, like in terms of the East, I'm a like a Devils fan. So I remember when they drafted him, and I memorized his name when they drafted him because it was so Impressive. fun to say. From um, from one long last name person to another, that was impressive. It's it's a good one. And then they also got a conditional first, a conditional second, and a seventh. So wow. lots of pieces to that trade. I believe a total of, let's see, seven plus five, no, plus six. So 13 pieces involved in that trade. <laughs> a little crazy, but Incredible. I think that's an unbelievable deal for New Jersey. They're going to be so good with Timo Meyer now. Like I get, <laughs> they barely gave up anything to be perfectly honest for that. Like New yeah. Jersey managed to avoid giving up their three top prospects in Alexander Holtz and Dawson Mercer and uh, Luke Hughes and Nemec. They didn't give up Simon Nemec either. So they're four like top kind of prospects. So that's pretty crazy to get a player like Timo Meyer without giving up one of those. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That was uh that was a big in for sure. Um, trying to think of the ones that we've skipped over here, kind of some, not so well we can skip over the minor trades the the one that uh, is going to impact us i think the the most is uh nino niederreiter heading to winnipeg obviously with it being in the central but um i have always loved how he plays i mean i he's he's coming over from nashville so it's an inter squad kind or inter division kind of thing but um uh, when i just think of like bottom six guys that the oilers could really benefit obviously the dollars would have never worked but um i think Winnipeg definitely gets stronger there. Yeah, I think that would be a trade that at least Edmonton fans would have been really interested in is something like a Niederreiter for Pujarvi swap. Maybe Edmonton would probably have to add on to that. But making that contract work work probably wouldn't have went well for Edmonton. They probably would have had to give somebody up and it just wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, not the player you want to give up that much more for. Well, exactly. Nothing against Niederreiter, but 
I don't think he's the type of player that we need. And I'm still sitting here screaming that we need a defenseman. So I'm happy we didn't just trade for a Patrick Kane or something like that. Just so yeah. we can make a trade when we need defensemen. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, Orlov and Hathaway, Boston gets even stronger. Uh, does anyone like it's become the point right now at this NHL season, Boston number one, and then the actual argument becomes like, who's the second best team in the league? Like this was just like, of course they got them. Like, yeah, Boston is just pretty stacked. I wouldn't be surprised to see them still make another move. I think they kind of have a quote unquote hole in their top nine, considering Craig Smith was traded away in this deal. So they might be interested in looking for another player elsewhere, but I'm not sure where they'll be able to find one considering every player has been traded already. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it's crazy to think like we've been talking now for uh, 40 minutes and we still haven't even got into uh, all of the trades into detail. But I mean, um, I think we should focus on some Edmonton Oilers talk here. Uh, just some news that's, that's uh, been going on with the team. Um, and then what we've seen over the past week. But uh, I think we start with probably the most concerning mood or uh, news is Drysidle, of course, leaving leaving the ice today. It looks like he, he uh, had a little bit of a collision with Skinner, but um, don't really know the status on him right now. Yeah, I'm concerned, to say the least. <laughs> um, the only, I can't even say positive, of anything that might be happening to dry settle is if he hurts one thing, maybe he'll have time to heal another injury he might have. So mm-hmm. who fucking knows how that's going to work out to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, y- you know what fucking kind of blew me away last week and I was going back listening. We didn't mention anything about McDavid hitting 800 dry settle hitting eight or 700. So we're going to do it starting this week obviously those two but nuge hits 600 like this team is hitting milestones every single week like this is insane well i think these three players specifically will go down in oilers history as some of the best oilers of all time like i think obviously mcdavid and dry will be in like the top five but is there an argument for like nuge if he finishes his career here to be in the top 10. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think I'm a little bit biased too, because how, again, I'm, I'm reaffirming what Brad Marchand said last week, but how long has it been since we've seen, you know, someone take a discount to stay in Edmonton and still put up the numbers that he's putting up? Like it's it's such a great. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, just flipping through our notes here. Uh, I did see that apparently on the radio, Darren Drager made the, uh, the comment that the Edmonton Oilers aren't quite done yet. Um, so before we get into some of the other bad news stuff here, uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think the next move is on, um, on the docket for Edmonton? Well, I think in my dream scenario, they still find a way to bring in um, Carlson. That'd be pretty cool. Ooh. But I don't necessarily know how they would make that work in terms of assets, considering yeah. they just traded away their first. 
So like it would be like next year's first and Borgo would probably still be gone. Um, there'd probably have to be money involved. So Yamamoto might be gone and maybe Cody CC would be gone. Like, well, and so Evander Kane, uh, they keep listing him as day to day, but does the possibility of him moving to LTIR get more real of a possibility here? Well, that's the thing. It just depends on how long he's going to be out of the lineup. And from what I've been reading, it's that he's, I don't know if he's close per se, but the fact that they're saying he's day to day and not week to week, at least, and they're not putting him on regular IR tells me that they don't think that he's going to be, or he's going to be back very soon and he's not going to be out in the long term. Yeah. I, it's a good thing, obviously, because you want him healthy and in the lineup. I, I don't think it was ever really a realistic thing to free up that that room. So uh, just back to the question, I don't, I don't think... I think if the Oilers are looking for anything um, substantial uh, to help the team, I think they're looking bottom six player, someone who can win defensive zone draws. Um, I don't know if the Oilers will find a way to get that puck-moving defenseman. It's just the cap constraints now. You got your defensive defenseman. Um, it kind of sucks cause you had to move out Tyson Berry to do so. So you're kind of still lacking in that area. I just don't know how you make a move that way. Well, I'm curious too, if they're like when Holloway's back, they want to make sure they have room to call him up too. Right. Good point. So yeah. they might have to do some more cap wizardry and get rid of somebody off the roster to potentially bring him up. But I think that would be more of a flip somebody with more money, like hypothetically Yamamoto, for like a guy who's making like two million or something like that instead. Yeah. Did did well? Obviously, it's been a busy week with all this news. Have you heard anything further on uh, um, that injury? Sorry, which injury is that? Holloway's. Oh, Holloway's injury? No, I don't believe so. I think his. It's just a shoulder injury, and that's pretty much all that's been released about it, and that he was going yeah. to be out a month. Yeah, uh, the last I heard was just a month, so um, uh, is what it is. Um, I think that takes care of all the... Oh, no, we've got to talk about Campbell. Uh, it's... Fuck, man. Like... <laughs> Do we want to talk about the actual games that we played this week? We haven't even like considered any of the games. That was gonna be my that was gonna be my segue into this thing. So I, I, he seems to be the trend in in the last week. Like the game against Columbus, obviously completely terrible. The Oilers walked Pittsburgh, but then they they completely just don't show up in Columbus and. I don't know what you thought about these games, but it seems like anytime Edmonton comes off a really big win, they always follow it up with an absolute no-show. And I don't want to say the no-show lasted all game because Connor McDavid almost single-handedly willed that game back in Columbus. So what I think the issue is, and I think a lot of people have talked about and agree, is that Edmonton has a huge overconfidence issue. So, Mm. for example, with the Columbus game, they went into that thinking, we're going to walk all over this team. They're Columbus, and we're Edmonton. This should be easy. Then they get throttled in the first period and deep into the second, and they're down four to nothing. 
And then Edmonton realizes, hey, we got to get our shit together. So they go on a tear. They score the four goals to make it 4-4. And then once again, as soon as they make it 4-4, they're just like, that was easy. We're going to win this game. This game's over. And then they shit the bed because they stopped trying again. Yeah. Well, it, that's the thing is like you, you wonder how much energy you expend trying to get back into it. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, you, you just fall flat again in late in the third. Like, I don't know. The, the Pittsburgh game looked like an absolute domination. But the first period in Columbus, I was not shocked as soon as it happened. Like, I was like, of course, like, this is how it gets followed up. Um, They weren't great defensively, but Campbell was very much not good in net. Well, like, it was one of those normal games where you just need a save or two. And, like, my, my friend keeps screaming this at me, and I was talking about it a lot at the beginning of the year, is, like, Five goals should be enough to win a fucking hockey game. If you can't win a game scoring five goals, then that's on your goalie and on your defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't know what else to say about that Columbus game because it hurt. You know, you came the, the Hyman goal that made it uh, six to five. I think at that point with like a minute left, I was like, Oh, okay. Like we've got enough time. This can be a good push. It just sucks being down for nothing coming all the way back just to lose by a goal, man. Like, oh, it just hurts the old, uh, the old hope meter that I have going on in me. And then they followed that up in the game in Boston, which honestly was a fantastic game. I was just going to say that both teams played great. Edmonton played up to their competition in Boston. They came out, played a solid game the whole time, and I think it was just more of a few lucky bounces or bad bounces that were kind of the difference maker. You could scream the refs, refs all you want, but like, I think it was still a good game. I think the penalties were five to one or five power plays to one for Boston. So, like, I think Edmonton probably could have made it at least to overtime if they would have gotten like three power plays. But <laughs> regardless, th- this is the funny part about these two games. They lose by one goal to Columbus and I'm furious. They lose to one goal by to Boston and I'm like that was a great game. Like I'm not even mad. Like that yeah, was super fun it's to your watch. Competition. Well, it's the competition and the team actually fucking tried. And they tried yeah. to win. Like Allmark or sorry, Swayman played great. And like I'm not even going to sit here and be like, "Oh, we got goalie because he played great, but he didn't play that great." Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I completely agree. Like, it's a great game to watch. Um, it was nice to, it's nice to see those because you kind of get the, the like, the sense meter of where the Edmonton Oilers are going to compete at. Like, obviously, I have not watched enough Boston Bruins games to figure out whether or not this was a good game or a bad game for them. But obviously, a very talented team riding a very, very large high right now. So um, I'm kind of with you. I, it's weird how you feel that way. Um, even Pittsburgh, like, not having the best of years this year, uh, just to throttle them seven to two. And I was like, that kind of brought me up. I was like, Oh, holy shit. Like this is a, this is a team now. Well, when Edmonton shows up, they, they show up and they play well, but yeah, it just needs to be a more consistent effort all around, especially on the defensive end. Like not to pick on anybody in particular, but I'm going to pick on somebody in particular was watching that second Boston goal with Kulak on the quote-unquote two-on-one that was there where he cheated to the left and like went to the guy with the puck instead of taking the man who was going to the net and the guy ended up wide open and scoring. 
So yeah. it's it's kind of like one of those moments where it's like it feels in my mind that it should be a like it's just like a junior level play in terms of defense that you take away the pass and instead he took the man even though McDavid was already there. It just made no sense to me why you're even like considering that. Like just let the man shoot the puck and you take away the pass so the goalie can be centered and not be concerned about the guy on the back door. I've got nothing more to add to that because uh, I think you nailed it there. Um, just the last thing I wanted to touch on here. Uh, obviously, probably the the coolest thing to see is is Connor McDavid hit 50 in 61 games. Uh, first time in his career hitting 50 goals. Uh, I'd like to also mention that uh, he did it in one less game than Austin Matthews last year. So suck it, Leafs fans. Um yeah, shocked we saw him hit it in February, Sean? <laughs> uh, I'm not shocked at all, and I am definitely in the camp that he can hit 70 goals this year, and I will be disappointed if he doesn't. Well, he's on pace for 67, so that's not bad. Well, it's like if he hits 60 goals, if that's like his cap, I'll be disappointed. If he hits 65, that's my mid. If he hits 70, I'll be happy. <laughs> I mean, we know how hot Connor gets towards the end of the season, so it's not unrealistic. Well, that's the thing. I was talking to my roommate, and he's, he hit 50. I was like, oh, he's probably going to hit 70. He's like, oh, I think like 62 would be reasonable. <laughs> and I was like, if you, if Connor McDavid scored 12 goals over these last, I think it's 21 games that are left, that would be a pretty <laughs> disappointing 21 games for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll see what ends up happening. The Oilers face the Leafs tomorrow night. Uh, it'll be tonight by the time you're listening to this podcast. Uh, the brand new Dubis Leafs. <laughs> I still can't go over that. Uh, then home and home uh, with the the Jets Friday and Saturday, and finish it up on Monday, probably the last game before you hear from us against Buffalo. Um, I guess we'll have a bunch of trade deadline news hopefully uh, next pod too. Hey. Yeah, I'm thinking there'll at least be one more Oilers-related trade and probably a tons more uh, NHL-related trades. And I'm hoping some blockbusters, because those are always fun to talk about and then dream of what Edmonton could have done to make that trade happen. Yeah, yeah, very true. It, it's always fun to compare like the, the asks to and what uh, ended up going for the players. But um, that's, that's all we got. A lot of news here uh, this week. Um, but I think we're ending on a very, very happy note. <laughs>